Thank you, ladies. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 28. And, of course, you knew we would be there tonight. In a few moments, we'll turn to Acts chapter number 2, uh, but Matthew chapter uh, number uh, 28. And as the lady saying, I was reminded, you'll never regret giving your life to the Lord. Uh, you'll never regret surrendering it all. There's been some come to the end of their life and regret not giving it to the Lord uh, but you won't regret serving the Lord, and uh, you'll not. None of us are going to get to heaven, and God's going to be like, "You gave too much. Uh, you you surrendered too much. Um, you 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 spent too much time with me. I didn't. I, that, that that's not going to happen. Uh, when we get in His presence, we're, no matter how much time we give Him, uh, we're going to wish we had done more. Uh, but uh, let's continue to be faithful. Matthew chapter number twenty-eight. And once again, we're looking at the Great Commission, verse 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This morning, uh, we looked at the baptism of the Great Commission. Next Sunday morning, we'll look at the discipleship of the Great Commission. But tonight, I want to speak on the organization of the Great Commission. To reach the world with the gospel is a, is a, is a great task. It is a worthy thing, friend, for you to use your life to reach somebody else with the gospel. It is a worthy thing for you to use your life, to use your energy, to use your time, to use your talent, to, to use your means to reach others with the gospel. There's nothing greater than a Christian can be involved in than reaching people with the gospel. Uh, part of the Great Commission is helping people grow uh, in their faith in Christ. There's nothing greater than you and I can do to then invest in somebody else in their Christian life, their growth as a Christian. It's the greatest cause in the world for a church to say, we're going to use our days. By the way, that's why we're still here. Because our Heavenly Father wants us home with Him. And the reason why we're still here is we still have something we can do for the cause of Christ in reaching someone else with the gospel. But think about how big of a task that is to reach the world with the gospel. God never commands His church to do anything He does not give them the ability to do. Now say, why isn't the world reached? Because we haven't done what God has given us the task to do. You say, well, Pastor, we're doing it. We're trying to do it. Sure. But in order to reach the world, God's church has got to be busy reaching the world. That's why, friend, you and I can't get distracted with social causes. We can't get distracted with things that may not be bad, but they're just not as important as reaching the world with the gospel. Let's bring this down just even a little bit to where we live. Uh, it's a big task to think that we could reach Jacksonville, Florida with the gospel. That's my goal. That's what I want to spend my life doing is reaching this city with the gospel. So, Pastor, I don't know if we can do it. Well, why don't we just give it a shot and, and see, see how far we get and see what the Lord will do. But there's a way that we are to go about doing it. We've talked about the power of the Great Commission. It's the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God. It cannot be done in our own power. It cannot be done just in organization. We must 
have the power of God. That's what makes the difference in a church than every other church is the presence and power of the Spirit of God. But I use the, the, the title tonight, The Organization of the Great Commission, and I'm going to look at one chapter as we see the church begin to make a difference. It begin to grow. We see uh, these apostles, this early church, going into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost, and seeing what God does in the winning of souls and the baptizing of converts and the discipling so that then they can go and repeat the Great Commission. There is, there's a pattern there in the Scripture. Friend, you and I don't need to go down to the quote-unquote Christian bookstore to find out how to reach the world or reach our city. It's in the page of Scripture. Uh, you don't have to go on the Internet and Google it. It's in the Scripture. And quite frankly, we do better by not going and looking at those things and sticking with the Word of God. So tonight, <clears throat> I will keep you. You heard the thunder. I'll keep you as long as it's raining outside because you can't go anywhere. And so pray this is just a quick summer shower and not a tropical storm. And so uh, let's ask the Lord to bless us. Father, <clears throat> we love you. Thank you for the day you've given us. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your church. Uh, thank you for what you've already done today. Thank you for what uh, you will do in our hearts tonight. Now, Father, nothing that I say will be new to anyone here, perhaps, but it's a good thing for us to be reminded uh, that you are still doing a work today. The same work you did 2,000 years ago, you'll do today. You are doing today. And Father, I pray that we would follow, be willing to follow the pattern in Scripture uh, so that your church could fulfill its purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we see the Great Commission and we see what Christ commissioned His church to do, I want you to turn over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 2. And while you're turning there, I'll remind you what takes place in Acts chapter number 1 up to where our text is going to be. We'll look at the... Uh, the, the, the end of chapter number 2. Of course, Christ, before He ascends into heaven, He reaffirms that command. He gives that command in this context of go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And He tells those apostles, He tells the early church that you are to be witnesses of Him. Witnesses of Christ fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, we, we get, we, we're off base when it comes to missions, I believe. Uh, how do we reach the world? Well, you can't reach the world if you're not going to reach your neighborhood. Uh, I, I'm for missions. We support missionaries. We're very involved in our own missions projects. But I determined when I became the pastor more than 10 years ago, I did not want to pastor a church where there's a bunch of names of a, on the wall of missionaries doing a work for God, and we do nothing to reach our community. We do nothing to, to reach our neighbors and coworkers. I believe if we all reached our area, eventually the world would be reached. He tells them to go and be witnesses of him to fulfill the Great Commission. He said, after you get the power of the Holy Ghost. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in one of the messages, and that early church then left as Christ ascended. Can you imagine? As you've, 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 you've heard him after he's been resurrected, you've seen him after he's been resurrected, you notice the difference in his hands from the, 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 the nails that were there, the wounds that he still has in his hands, and he ascends into heaven. 
you witness that, and you, I remind you what Acts chapter 1 says, and those, those angels called their attention and said, Why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus, the one that you just saw the sin, this one is coming back again. And aren't you thankful that the same Jesus, I'm a little envious of the disciples, to see Christ. I'm a little envious of them to be able to hear His voice. Often I wonder what He looks like, but more than that, I wonder what, he, what His voice is like. And boy, I'm a little envious of the fact that they got to, to be around Him and to touch Him, and John leaned on His breast, and I'm envious of that. But this same Jesus is coming back again. And friend, you and I are going to see His face, we're going to hear His voice, and we're going to spend all of eternity with Him. But because He's coming back, the church has a mission, and that humble group of people went to that upper room and they prayed and they organized and they prayed for the power of God to come upon them. They were going to attempt to reach the same people that crucified Jesus. The same ones who denied His deity are who they're going to reach. And friend, this is something you and I need to be reminded of. We look at how wicked this world is and in our own nation, how we're turning our back on God and all of this, this, this agenda that you see uh, pushed uh, in, 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 our, in our world today uh, through our government and through Hollywood and through all of these things. It is a direct attack on God himself. We look at that and say, what are we going to do? Well, friend, we better have the Spirit of God. We better have the power of God. And that is what makes the difference. They go, we know the story of Pentecost. We referenced that this morning. But I want us to look at the end of the chapter as we look at the organization of the Great Commission. I am, a, it, the way I, I think, and certainly in this context of, of pastoring in our church, uh, I want to look for precedents. I want to look for patterns. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I want to look at what God has used. I want to look at what the pattern that has been been and say, well, what about this church and what about this church? I'm just going to go to the first church. And uh, let's look at what God did and what the agenda was. And that is something that you and I can follow. But I want us to look at the organization of the Great Commission. As I look at what the early church did, I find, number one, I find a confrontation of the lost. I find the lost confronted of their lost condition. A lost person needs to know they're lost. A lost person needs to be told they're lost. Uh, the unsaved need to be told they're unsaved. I believe, even as we've witnessed every week this year, there's been lost people who've heard the gospel, and when they heard that they were lost, they said, I don't have to be lost anymore. I can be found. I can be saved. And they have chosen to put their faith and trust in Christ. But they first had to know that they were lost. Look with me in verse number 37. Now when they heard this, we'll not take the time, but there's a powerful message in Acts chapter number 2. I've read it dozens, if not hundreds of times, and I fall under conviction every time I read it. It is a pointed confrontational message, and, and you can still feel the power of the Holy Spirit on it. Now, when they heard this, I'll encourage you to read it this sometime on your own, after, when you get home tonight or this week. But verse 37, now when they heard this, 
They were pricked in their heart. There's too much emphasis today on working up some sort of decision. You must have the power of God. It's the Spirit of God that pricks the heart. I would refer you to my book, Perilous Times Have Come. I cover it very much in detail in there. How these modern day sorcerers work a crowd into an emotional frenzy. Throw the name of God in there from time to time. Get them to make an emotional decision. But the heart is never pricked. I can think all the way back to when I was a child and when I trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't remember every detail. But I can go back and I can remember how bad I felt about myself. I can remember how much shame I felt as a child because I knew I was a sinner. Well, why did I feel that way? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God pricked their heart. But what did God use? He used confrontation of the fact that they were lost. As they are hearing this indictment against them in the fulfillment of Scripture and how God had raised up His Son from the dead and they were at fault and they had crucified Him and and now He's alive. It was the Spirit of God. They, They didn't necessarily like it or have to like it, but it was the Spirit of God that was saying, He's right. That's the truth. Just like it was the Spirit of God with you, whether it was in a, in, a, in a service like this or whether you were in a Sunday school class or somebody was, was sitting in your living room or somebody knocked on your door and they were telling you that you were lost without Christ, you had to pay for your own sins in hell, it was the Spirit of God that was pricking that heart and said, they're right, that's the truth. That's exactly the case. And friend, one reason why we're not fulfilling the Great Commission as as a church today, generally speaking, is because there's not a confrontation of the lost. We must confront them. And I don't I don't and, and I don't have to go in and explain myself to certainly us tonight of how, yes, we do that with love, and yes, we do that with grace. It is love to tell somebody that without Christ. They will perish for all of eternity. But there is a confrontation of the lost. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I believe with my whole heart that there would be revival in America if men would get behind the pulpit and preach with power, and preach pointed, and preach that man is going to die in their sins and go to hell without Christ. If that took place across this country, you wouldn't need a different president. You wouldn't need a different Congress. You wouldn't need different laws to be passed. Men would get saved because when men are confronted by the Spirit of God, the reaction is, what shall we do? Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. But you know, there's a, there's a reason why repentance isn't preached a lot because you've got a, a lot of backslidden preachers. Got a lot of compromising preachers. That's why repentance isn't preached. Uh, it, that's why there's no spirit because there's no spirit-filled life. 
And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There was the confrontation of the lost. It was not just the confrontation of your loss without Christ, condemning, but the solution was given. The solution is Jesus Christ. You know, while we take, and, I, and, I've, and you know I've been emphasizing this to us, just, if nothing else, it keeps my focus. Because, you know, if you see what's going on in our country, it's very easy to get distracted. But as we take our stand, may we always offer the solution to the problem. The solution is the Lord Jesus Christ. The solution is salvation by grace. But man does not receive the solution because they've yet to get the diagnosis. This and you, and you, you, you know the study, the years of study I've put into that emerging church movement, that contemporary movement. I know what I'm talking about with that. The reason why I'm on it so much is because there are men and women, there are families looking for a solution, and they go to get it, and they get no diagnosis. Live your best life now, friend. If this is the best life we're living, I don't know what we're looking forward to in eternity. Oh, and, and you just claim your purpose for God, and, and that's your relationship with Christ, and there are going to be men sincere People die and go to hell because somebody lied to them. Because somebody didn't have enough love in their heart to tell them the truth. To tell them that they are, if they die without Christ, they will go to hell. That is a message of love and man must be confronted. There's a confrontation of the lost. And if we take the time to get God's power, friend, that's why we have to live a clean life. That's why the church has to be separated. Because God does not fill dirty vessels. The lost are confronted. They're convicted by the Holy Spirit. And it's good for us to be reminded. It's good for me as your pastor to remind you that when I get up and I preach the messages that I preach, and I preach as I, I, I do every single week, it's only my responsibility to preach what God's instructed me to preach. It's not my responsibility to, to convict anyone. It's not my responsibility to change anybody's heart. I do not have that ability. I do not have my power. And I can, that is not my job. It's the, it's the role of the Spirit of God. You as a soul winner, you as a Sunday school teacher, you as a mom and dad with your children, it is your responsibility to teach them the Word of God, to teach them the truth, to give the confrontation. Friend, if you die today, you're 100% sure you're on your way to heaven. Do you know Christ? Are you lost in your sins? You cannot convict anyone. You cannot change anyone. You cannot force anyone to choose Christ. But friend, I believe if we take the time to go in the power of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is the one that does the convicting, but we have to do the confronting. And quite frankly, it's not always an easy thing to do to get up and confront the lost. It's not an easy thing to do when you start a conversation with a complete stranger and say, oh, by the way, if you're not saved, you're going to hell. Now, I would say it a little more tactful than that. That's why we've got to have the boldness that can only come from the Spirit of God. 
Friend, do we believe there's a heaven? Do we believe there's a hell? Do we believe the difference is the Lord Jesus Christ? Then we must confront. Well, I love my city. Then we must confront it. Well, I love my neighbors. Then they must be confronted. I love my love. I love my family. Then they must be confronted. They must be confronted with their lost condition. And our world needs to know that if they die without Christ, they'll die in their sins. You cannot fulfill a great commission. You will not find the New Testament church in any situation advancing without confronting the lost. Number two, there's an encouragement and expectation of the next steps of confession and participation. Let me say it again. It's a little bit lengthy. Encouragement and expectation of the next steps of confession and participation. We read it this morning. We read also again in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. We get a little more context tonight having read verse 37 and 38. If they were convicted of that powerful message, that confrontation. This is what God has said. They received the word. I am condemned in my sin. I am going to believe in Christ. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I would, I would submit to you that those 3,000 people, they all didn't know exactly what the next thing they were supposed to do. I want you to think about this. 3,000 people were baptized. Peter's the preacher. I wonder how tired he got. Let me tell you, he didn't baptize all 3,000. I don't know how many he baptized, if he baptized any. But there were those ready to baptize. There were those ready to help do that. There were those ready to encourage. And by the way, one of the points in Sunday school this morning was when you do right, you don't know who else you'll encourage to do right and what you'll bring out of somebody else. Somebody had to be number one. And who knows, somebody said, well, I, I'm doing this. I don't care who else does this. I'm, I'm trusting Christ, and I'm willing to let everybody know by my public confession of baptism, representing the death, the burial, and the resurrection, there were people there who were there to help and ready to have a part in that. 3,000 people don't just get baptized without there's being somebody there to point them in the right direction, somebody to encourage them. And then they were added to the church. Uh, those that work in the office, can you imagine how many letters had to be printed the next on Monday? I'm getting a hand cramp thinking about all the letters I would have to, 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 to sign, you know, uh, recognizing them as, as members of the church and, and following the Lord and believers' baptism. There were people who encouraged them. We put the emphasis on the conversion. We put the emphasis as we should on the on the being a witness, as we should. We put the emphasis on being a soul winner, as we should. But friend, don't minimize. Somebody's got to watch the children while a mom hears the gospel. Somebody's got to be willing to, to usher and show people where they're supposed to go. Somebody's got to offer a seat next to them and say, sit by me. My name is so-and-so. Nice to meet you. Somebody's got to have a part in all that. You know, when we have baptism, somebody washes the towels. 
Somebody washes the baptismal rose. Aren't you thankful for that, Christian? Somebody is doing that, and, and I would dare say, other than the people who are doing it, nobody knows who's doing it. But it's getting done. Because there's got to be that encouragement and that help along the way. Friend, you and I have got to be bolder in the Great Commission, not just in the witness, but to in the encouragement of helping people along the way. It's a great and powerful thing for one Christian to say to a new Christian, hey, this is, why don't you come and join us with, on this and help them know what they're supposed to do and encourage them. When somebody trusts Christ as their Savior, and somebody says, I'm going to follow, I want to grow, I want to be obedient, that's when the devil's going to come after them. That's when they need encouragement. That's when they're going to find obstacles. That's when, hey, we're going to join the church. That's when the kids are getting sick. Uh, they need a, Well, I knew they didn't mean it. There's no place for that. How about some encouragement? They've been saved a week and a half. Don't they know better? Well, you've been saved 22 years and you still have that spirit, so no, they don't know better. How about praying for them? How about encouraging them? Good to see you. Say, Pastor, there's too many. I can't keep up with them. Just do what everybody else does. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, sister. But just be encouraging to be a part. Take that next step. Number three, there is an adherence to the church program set forth by Christ. There is an adherence to the church program set forth by Christ. We read these verses over and over, and I think sometimes we don't realize all that's packed into them. Now, I said number three, I'm going to say it again, adherence to the church program set forth by Christ. Look at verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly. Who did? The, the converted. The baptized. The added to the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, there's a pattern there of what is important. But there's also a responsibility that is there to hold to a standard. Adherence to the church program set forth by Christ. Continued steadfastly. Don't waver. Be faithful. Christ went to Calvary. He took upon Himself your sins. When he paid your penalty and his blood was shed on your behalf. And when you put your faith and trust in that, there is a commitment made to you from an almighty God. We should commit to our God. What are we committed to? To his program. To his church. To his people. 
Now, notice there's a couple of things mentioned here, and I, th- and I think it's good for us to point out and be reminded. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. All those who claim the name of Christ are not the same. Well, how do we know? Doctrine. We hear, and if you'll permit me tonight, I'm going to do it anyway, but if you'll permit me, I'm just weary of hearing a bunch of preachers whine. Well, doctrine divides. Duh. That's the point of doctrine. Well, that's why are we putting the emphasis on the minor? Hold, hold, hold up. Who thinks they're smart enough and wise enough and big enough to look at God's book and an almighty God and say, I think that's major, I think that's minor, I think that's major, I think that's minor. If it comes from God, it's all major. Doctrine makes a difference. And by the way, as the pastor of this church, it's my responsibility to hold the doctrine. Not to water it down. Keep it what it is. The, the, the name Baptist is on the church sign, but the Baptist doctrine is inside the building too. And quite frankly, there's a lot of Baptists who should take Baptists off of the church sign because they left doctrine a long time ago. They've allowed false doctrine to come in, which brings a false salvation. Well, it's just the method. What you don't understand is that method is wrapped around a false salvation, a false doctrine, and it's a tool of the devil. Say, Pastor, you're you're getting riled up about this. It's the souls of men who are at risk. And we must hold the doctrine. I'll give you an example. Forty years ago when my father became the pastor of the church and we moved here, there there was soul winning Bible-believing churches on every corner. And they weren't little churches. And you would, on Saturdays, you'd run into, okay, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? And, And that's the way it was. But the doctrine got watered down. The methods changed. And I promise you, I don't think we're the only people out there soul winning, but it's probably been a while since you've run into somebody, isn't it? Because doctrine, we're supposed to adhere to the the doctrine of the apostles. Where do we find the doctrine of the apostles? I'm asking the question and being demonstrative to see if you can come up with the answer of where we're supposed to find the doctrine of the apostles. It's in the Word of God. If it's not in this book, it's not Bible doctrine. If it's in this book, it's Bible doctrine. We are supposed to adhere to that. So as a Christian, I need to learn the Bible, the Bible doctrine. That's why you've got to encourage new Christians to be in Sunday school. By the way, that's why you need to be in Sunday school yourself. You need to, you need to be in church. You need to encourage others to be in church. You need to be in your Bible every day, reading God's Word for yourself. That's adhering to the doctrine. The book of Ephesians speaks of not being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. 
That's what's taking place even amongst saved people. Well, what's it matter? I'm saved, but there's generations coming behind you that won't hear the same gospel that you hear you heard. Well, what a it ought, it ought to it ought to frighten us. It ought to keep us it ought, it ought to keep us awake at night, thinking that if the wrong doctrine gets in here. Those babies that are in that nursery tonight. It's a very real, impossible scenario that by the time they get to where they are able to hear and understand, they could be given a false doctrine, a false salvation. By the way, Calvinism is not the apostles' doctrine. Work salvation is not the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine came directly from Christ. We are to adhere to that. Well, you know, those independent Baptist churches, especially, they're trying to indoctrinate people. Guilty. You know, we would be a lot better off if we were indoctrinating our children with this than the nonsense, the perversion the demonism that is being put, pushed down and given to our children. It's indoctrination. I think it was better when boys and girls went to Sunday school and they heard how God loved them and they heard how God created the world and they learned that in the fall of man and how that took place, but yet God sent His Son to die on the cross to pay for them, their sins and God has a plan for you and God has, has a life for you and if you'll give your life to God, you can have all that God would give to you, the joy and the peace of knowing not just that you're saved, but the life that He has given you is one that He would have for you. We were a lot better off when we were indoctrinating our, our children in our homes with the Word of God than we are today with this nonsense that we hear in our society. What is it? It's doctrine. It's Bible doctrine. I believe Baptist doctrine is Bible doctrine. I, I touched very little but some this morning on the fact that why would we take the Word of a, of, a, of a lost emperor of Rome, of what salvation is and what religion is, when we have Christ. It's doctrines important, but not just the doctrine, but the fellowship. There is a de-emphasis today, and that's why the, the more I see a de-emphasis of things in our society, and even amongst Christian people, it means I've got to put a greater emphasis on it. Because with, with the way the world is and technology, it comes to us. We've got to be reminded of what God puts an emphasis on. And He puts an emphasis on the fellowship. You, and I know I'm preaching to the choir as the saying goes tonight because you're here. But church attendance is important. Church attendance is vital. Well, Pastor, we have live stream. I look better in purpose in person than on live stream. There's something about the fellowship. And let me just let me just say this while I'm on it. If you can be at a ladies' fellowship, ladies, you ought to be at a ladies' fellowship. Well, that went over well. If you can be at the men's prayer meeting, you ought to be at the men's prayer meeting. 
you can be here at Wednesday night Bible study, you ought to be here at Wednesday night Bible study. If you're in the old people, I mean the senior saints, and you can be at the one accord, you ought to be at the one accord activity. If you can be at the men's softball, you ought to, you ought to be there. Well, I don't like to play. Go there and make fun of everybody else still trying to play. But you need the fellowship. You don't always need to be the last one in, the first one out. Okay, Pastor, you're getting It's my responsibility to say we're supposed to adhere to the doctrine and the fellowship, which is the church of the apostles. The church should have the priority in our life. I know this sounds foreign. But you shouldn't in today, but it, growing up, it wasn't for, and you heard it everywhere. But you shouldn't build your family schedule, you shouldn't build church into your family schedule. Your family schedule ought to be built around the church. Look, I already referred to it. You're not going to get to heaven, and God's going to be like, he really took your kid to church too much. I mean, those extra things you took them to, you could have just got by. There's, in the book of Hebrews, you know the passage, the closer we get to Christ's return, the more we're supposed to be in the house of God. Why is that? Is that just because it's getting closer to His return? Well, if you study the Bible, you know the world gets more wicked the closer to Christ's return. So the closer we get to Christ's return, the more we need to be in the house of God to protect us from the world that we're living in. I can can explain. I can explain the demise of our nation, the demise of our cities very simply. The world got wickeder or more wicked the same time we took a generation out of Sunday school. Or we canceled the Sunday night service or we stopped having Bible study. Therefore, spiritually speaking, we are weak. Spiritually speaking, we are tossed to and fro by every wind of change in doctrine. We don't have the armor of God to fight off the devil in that spiritual warfare. We must adhere to the church program set forth by Christ to be part of His church. Number four, and I'll be done. The organization of the Great Commission. By the way, if you don't have the doctrine, what's the point? Pastor, some of these churches, they stopped so winning. I'm glad. They stopped outreach. I'm glad. I don't want anybody going to their churches. Because they're not going to hear the gospel. Or they're just going to go sit in a dead church that's not doing anything to reach the world with the gospel. I'm glad they don't have outreach anymore. Now, we would be better if they were still preaching the Bible and still preaching the gospel and trying to get people saved. That would be better. But if we're not going to adhere to the church program set forth by Christ, then we, we cannot fulfill that great commission. And then number four, they, we find in the organization of the great commission, you take the gospel to the community. Look at verse 43, after they continued steadfastly, a fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. 
and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. I've explained to you before, that's not socialism. That when God had, a, there was a need, God put people in the church to meet that need. We, we know that is true. Verse 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They went house to house. There's other passages I could go to. The, the two by two, house to house, uh, going to the highways and hedges. We'll look at that in another week. But they went to the community. They went house to house. I believe they were having church house to house. I believe they were inviting people uh, to, 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 to those uh, meetings. I believe they went into the marketplace and they took the gospel there. They did not wait for the lost world to come to them. They followed the command of Christ to go to the lost world. And friend, we need to be reminded that this world needs Christ. Our city needs Christ. You should invite, but that's going to them to invite. We should go to the... That's why it's like, well, you know, I, I, I work with these people. You've got to be looking for an opportunity to invite them to church. I know you, you may not have the, the, the liberty, and you shouldn't take a pulpit to church to work with you. I understand that. But you ought to be looking for an opportunity to be a witness to invite. You ought to invite your neighbors. You ought to invite your loved ones. We ought to invite people. You have, they took the gospel to the community. Friend, this is why that I am always going to, with the Lord's help, I'm always going to keep the pressure applied for us to continue to move forward. Well, Pastor, we've got so much more than we had five years ago. There's more out there that we need to do for Christ. Everybody in Jacksonville has not heard. Hey, Pastor, do you really think that, 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 that it's our responsibility? That's the way I'm looking at it. You're not. God put us here. I mean, we, God could have put us anywhere. I mean... Why didn't he put us in Hawaii? But he put us here. So if he's here, if he put us here, he put our church here. And by the way, it's no accident that we got this piece of property where we're at. Pretty strategic location to get the gospel to our city. Don't get weary of your pastor when he mentions from time to time, there, there's other schools that we need to start. Don't get weary of your pastor. He says we need to we need we need we need to we need to branch out here. We need to we need to push here and and here's an opportunity over here. Don't get weary of that. Friend, there's a world that needs the gospel. There's a city that needs the gospel. 
And I'm just naive enough to believe that the Spirit of God, who empowered for 3,000 people to be saved at Pentecost, that the same Spirit that grew that church and spread it through that region of the world is the same Spirit of God available to His people today. It's the same gospel. It's the same God. It's the same Christ. And we must do everything we can do to take the gospel to those who need it. It's not enough to have the church doors open on Sunday morning with a welcome mat out. Now, we're going to do everything we can if for somebody who the Lord impresses, and some of you are members today, and for some reason the Lord impressed you just to walk in here one day. And there is going to be a welcome mat out. There is going to be a handshake in the parking lot. There is going to be a friendliness but friend, it's not enough for us just to open the doors and say, come see how wonderful things are in here. The gospel must go to the community. They did not wait on the community to come to them. Christ commissioned the church. He sent the church. There is an organization of the Great Commission. It begins with the command. It begins with the orders. It begins with the commissions, commission. And that church took what Christ said. They went to that upper room and they begged for God's power. And with God's power, they took the gospel to the people around them. And God blessed. They confronted Oh, America needs to be confronted. Our cities need to be confronted. You cannot have enough social programs to solve the problem. This is where I think some of even our quote-unquote conservative politicians miss it. It's more than capitalism versus communism. That's important. But you get down to the root of it, it's good versus evil. It's heaven versus hell. The commission of the church does not change. Friend, don't get weary of the commission. It's why we're here. Why must we continue by faith? Why must we confront the loss? I've often used the illustration. It's, it's, it's so true. It's like the Lord wakes you up in the middle of the night, changes your message, and it is just a, one of those hot Sunday morning, preaching against everything, preaching against every false religion out there, and that's when everybody has their lost loved ones come to church with them. Pastor, my, my loved one who's been Catholic their whole life, I finally got him to come. What are you preaching on? The fallacies of the Pope. That's what the Lord put on my heart this morning. But I never change it. I pray and say, Lord, you got to help me. You got to help me. But the lost man has to be confronted. You know why you're saved if you're saved tonight? It's the grace of God. But you first had to be confronted with your lost condition. That's why, just on that note, don't ever get upset at your pastor if you backslide and he comes to you and he confronts you. 
Don't ever get upset. Let me just give this advice to all the new parents and those that have children. If your child grows up, gets to be that young adult, that adult, and they get away from the Lord, and the pastor confronts them about it. Don't get upset with the pastor. Because we must be confronted. When you go to the doctor and you have some ailments, it's, why do you put off going to the doctor? It's not because, that, you know, it's like, I can't walk, I don't feel good, I have no energy, you know, I'm, you know I just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just a disaster. Why don't you go to the doctor? Well, I just don't have time. No, you know what he's going to say. Stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this. I'm so thankful that doctor saved my life. He confronted me. And hypothetically speaking, he said, dude, you can't eat tacos every day. That's going to kill you. That's not personal testimony, but it's confrontation. We've got to be willing to keep the main thing, as I said, the main thing, and look at our role in it. Don't minimize what you do in your church for the cause of Christ. Don't minimize that. It makes a difference. The encouragement to take that next step. The friendliness. We're going to take the stand that we need to stake, doctrinally speaking. And just, I think you know this, but it's good for me to say it and good for you to hear it. I'm not budging one inch on doctrine. I'm not budging one inch on, well, this will be, I'm not budging I'm not changing. I'm not going, because it's the, the same doctrine of the apostles. It's that same doctrine we must adhere to. Let's stay busy seeking the lost. Father, I pray that you'd use the message tonight.